We the Revolution launched on PC, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, and PlayStation 4 earlier this year. From the moment I saw one of their earliest trailers for the game, I knew that I was interested in it. And after playing through the game thanks to a review code from Clabater, the publisher behind this game, I can safely say that I did enjoy it, and I am glad that I played it. But that doesn't mean that the game is perfect, or that there aren't serious flaws with how this game has been built. The simplest way I can describe it is that this game is like a high school relationship. At first, it's great, and nothing could possibly change your mind about how great it is. But then, it slowly collapses in front of your very eyes, and you realize all of a sudden just how dysfunctional it really is, but you only realize this far too late, to the point where the whole thing implodes and ends in a painful and needlessly dramatic way. Much like this analogy. If all of that is unclear, don't worry, I'm going to explain. After all, that's kind of the point of the video. Basically, I love the concept. You're playing as a judge within the French Revolution, deciding the fates of many different people with all different cases coming before your desk. You read information about the case, and then based on the testimony, questionings, and witnesses, you have to decide whether somebody is guilty or innocent. Furthermore, this doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Like I said, this is set during the French Revolution, and you need to balance your reputation with multiple different factions while making these decisions. There will be multiple times in the game where somebody who's very important and holds high political office will come before your bench and you will be able to decide their fate. And while you may want to acquit them of the crime, you'll be forced to send them to the guillotine simply because the political heat you would face for going contrary to what the jury or the people wanted would be too extreme. Beyond this, I also love the art style. It is subjective, I grant you, but to me, I really liked it. And based on my research, it's based off of something called Delaunay Triangulation. And because everything's made up of triangles, which are of course made up of three vertices, I took all of this as being representative of the three pillars of the revolution, Liberté, Egalité, and Fraternité. But I may be just reading way too much into this, and I'll be honest, I have no evidence to back up this claim. But I don't care, because when you look at the art style as a reflection of the three pillars of the revolution, based on three sides and three vertices, it's a constant reminder throughout the entire game of the revolution and the pillars that are upholding everything that you do, and eventually, the pillars that will collapse in on you, despite your best efforts. Honestly, this game is starting from a great place. Playing as a judge in an age when integrity was basically a death sentence is fascinating. Reading all the court documents, discovery questions, questioning the defendants and witnesses, and then sentencing them based on the case, political climate, your family's opinions, and the jury's recommendations all tying together into something that could be very complex, but also very, very rewarding. And part of the reason that the first few hours of the game were so good for me is that all of the cases that you hear are interconnected to the larger story of the French Revolution and inevitably discuss the human capacity for greed and their inherent desire for power. And as the game goes on, you eventually have to balance more and more meters and opinions until you eventually feel like you're trying to hold up a house of cards all by yourself. And if all of this sounds like a blast, you should give the game a shot. As of right now, the game only costs $15 on Steam and $20 on any console that you're looking at. 
And for that amount of money, it's actually a very good deal, considering that I got 15 hours out of my first run. But this is where I'm most conflicted when discussing We the Revolution, because the first 11 to 12 hours are a blast, and I'd recommend the game, given that you like these types of narrative titles, based purely on this portion of the game. But the last few hours are some of the most bafflingly bad conclusionary hours in a game I have played in a very, very long time. But don't worry, I'm still going to explain why I think this over the course of this video. But all that being said, I think for $15 on PC or $20 on console, it's still very well worth playing, specifically if my brief synopsis of the game sounds intriguing. It's very niche, I grant you, but if you like this historical period or this style of the game in the same vein as Papers, Please, you'll enjoy it. Stop watching and go play it. But for now, let's consider the spoiler-free section of the video to be over. From here on out, we're going to start discussing the ins and outs of the game's mechanics, and we're going to be spoiling pretty much everything. As I said before, the first few hours of the game were great. I was honestly hooked. And adding the family dynamic to all of this made it even more engaging. Having to balance the opinions of my wife and my children made every situation a little higher stakes. But the fatal flaw that runs through as a scarlet thread the entirety of We the Revolution is that these types of games must create an illusion. What I mean is that the developer, of course, would never be able to consider every option and every verdict that you could choose to dictate over the course of the game. And as a result, they have to create the illusion of consequence based off of these meters and the reputation that you have. So even though one individual case might not shift the balance of power completely, it's going to have an impact on what the faction thinks of you and multiple decisions that affect this balance of power are going to have an overarching effect. And this tends to be where the fan base is going to be split. Some people feel as though the game doesn't actually offer much consequence because this illusion exists. Once you go through We the Revolution on multiple playthroughs, you'll realize the game is actually very linear, but it tricks you into thinking that it's all going according to your choices. And I agree, at least in part, that this is why the game falters. The game is too long, and by the end of that 15th hour, it was very clear to me that the illusion had faded, and the game was always going to end in this one particular way. But more on this in a bit. Now, like I said before, I feel as though the game was worth $15 or $20 on console, but that doesn't mean that it didn't need cutting. And beyond this, it doesn't mean that it's immune to criticism just because it's cheap. There are real issues here, and I will elaborate on them, but don't forget that I still enjoyed the game. I just want to stress this now because I always come off more negative than I intend. Regardless, I've made several accusations, so allow me to explain. The game is fairly consistent through the first 10 hours. It's broken up into three acts, each with varying numbers of days within. For instance, Act 1 is 22 days, Act 2 is 18, and Act 3 is 12. Although it is possible that some of these acts could be lengthened based on the choices that you make in the intrigue portion of your turn, but we'll get to that in a minute. Each day consists of the following. You judge cases, balance your family's opinions of you for specific boosts with factions and your reputation, then you supervise any executions that you sentenced, then you deal with interspersed narrative moments that occur throughout the story, then later in the game you also have to start building a statue in a map minigame for 
some reason, and then eventually you have to try to take over different areas of Paris from a rival political force. And lastly, you try to complete what the game refers to as intrigues, where you're performing major political maneuvers that fit into the main story. These are things like overthrowing a rival politician, or an archbishop who's become corrupt and is in your way. And then after all of this, you rest and you go on to the next day, at which point the cycle repeats. And actually, I think this works fairly well. The game is at its best when it throws you a curveball and ties meta themes into this micro loop. An example would be when you have the case of King Louis XVI coming before your desk and you have to determine his fate. At first, I wasn't sure what I would think about this, because after all, we are just playing as a singular judge during the French Revolution, but once I accepted the fact that some of these extraordinary cases were going to be coming in front of my desk simply because it was a video game, it actually was pretty interesting. And once you accept that this character you're playing as, Fidel, is actually going to be one of the major political movers and shakers within Paris, you can actually get fairly immersed within the story. But like I said earlier, these games need to create an illusion of choice when they're trying to keep it linear. And so let's continue on with King Louis XVI's sentencing. The game gives you the option of acquitting him, sending him to prison, or sentencing him to death. And based off of what the factions want, death seems to be the most likely sentence. As you go through the case, reading all of the court documents, asking questions, calling witnesses, etc., the jury eventually concludes that he should be sentenced to death as well. This means to acquit the king or to send him to prison would be against all of these different factors and factions, which will give you stat penalties that can affect the game moving forward. If that sounds cool, well, we agree. Going into this, I thought this was really, really cool, that I could still go against what the jury thought or what the people thought purely to serve my own interests or to serve my own sense of morality, which, after all, is when these games are at their best, when you are role-playing deep within the characters and every person that comes before your court is a real person that you are actually judging. The problem is that for each of these three sentences that you can hand down to King Louis, two of them are the same and one of them isn't actually an option. For instance, if you wanted to acquit the former king, you technically can do this, but the game tries to steer you in certain directions by bottoming out these meters, and once they reach a certain threshold, you risk being removed from office or killed by a mob. And in this case, if we acquit the former king, that's exactly what's going to happen. I actually tested this out. I freed King Louis and instantly I was mauled by a mob on my way home from the courthouse. The game is over and it brings you back to the main menu where you can load back into the beginning of that day. The other two options are sending him to prison or sentencing him to death. The game obviously wants you to sentence him to death, but you can still sentence him to prison as long as the political climate will allow it based on your reputation and standing with each of the factions. If you send King Louis to prison, he does go. It's not like they intercept him and murder him anyways, but they give you this prompt of King Louis sobbing in a jail cell saying that he's instantly relegated to the books of history and that he is going to be quickly forgotten. He's a broken man and he's no longer going to have any influence on the story moving forward, which is the case. 
And the third option, of course, is sentencing him to death, which of course is what happened in real life during the French Revolution and what the game wants you to do. And part of the way that it pushes you to do this is by giving you massive boosts with regards to your reputation with each of these major factions for sentencing him to death. So if you're being pragmatic about the situation, you're just going to sentence him to death purely because it's what is the politically smart thing to do. But like I said, sending him to prison and sentencing him to death are effectively the same thing. It just takes him out of the story. So it doesn't actually have a different consequence. And as for acquittal, instantly, you are killed and the game forces you to reload and make a different choice. You simply can't progress through the game if you acquit King Louis. And this of course begs the question, what actually defines a consequence? Is an instant game over actually a fair consequence if it means you can't continue through the game if you make this choice? It's an interesting question because I think for most people they'll say if you can't continue playing the game then it isn't actually a consequence it's just a way of forcing you to make a different decision. After all, how is this any different than an instant kill area or an invisible wall surrounding a massive map in an open world game if it's just going to force you to go back within the bounds that they've set for you? Now, of course, this is an extreme example because, after all, this is an actual historical event where King Louis was actually sentenced to death. And so if they want to remain grounded at all in the story, they need him to either be sent to prison and removed from the story, or they need him to be sentenced to death and eliminated as he was in real life. But I can't stress enough how frequent these types of situations are. The game appears to be offering you three different choices, but two of them are the same and one of them isn't actually an option. And there's a few ways that you could look at this. On the one hand, you could look at it in sort of a meta sense where you say that the game simply isn't allowing you to be virtuous and uphold your integrity based on how you hand down these sentences because in the French Revolution, the people and political climate of the day would also not allow you to do that. But on the other hand, this is a video game and it's not a pure reenactment of the historical record. And so if you're going to have branching narratives, you need to do a better job of hiding the fact that it's not actually branching from the player. Again, it's all about this illusion. And the problem with We the Revolution is that this illusion breaks near the end. The reason it breaks near the end is because throughout the entire game you've simply been balancing certain meters that represent your reputation with these different factions. But by the end of the game, once you become highly familiar with how the game is working and functioning and calculating these factions' opinions of you, you realize that these meters aren't actually representative of opinions of crowds, but rather that the crowds are just representative of these meters. It's the chicken and the egg. Basically, the game is just bouncing and balancing these meters according to what it wants you to do. So while it feels as though in the first hours of the game, your choices are defining your standing within the political climate of Paris, by the end of the game, you realize that the game is just manipulating these to force you into making certain decisions, because once a meter bottoms out, it's instant game over, you're forced to reload and make the decision that the game wants you to make. And again, I think that this only furthers the argument that the game is too long. It keeps this in front of the player for so many hours that eventually they will realize that it's not actually based on their decisions, but rather the game is manipulating it 
to reach a predetermined conclusion. Which, let me just say, is actually okay. I think it's okay to tell a strict narrative story while tricking the player into thinking that they have actual player agency with regards to these happenings. There are some fantastic games that straight up lie to players in order to get a certain response out of them. The first one I can think of is in Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice when they tell you that the black rot that's climbing up her arm will grow every time the character dies. Each time Senua reloads, this black rot will climb higher and higher up her arm, eventually reaching her heart, and if it does that, the game will be over and all of your save progress will be deleted. The plot twist, of course, being that this simply isn't true. You can die 50 times in a row to the same enemy and nothing will happen. But when you go through the game the first time and without this knowledge, you aren't aware that this is a lie and it can greatly increase the stress of a playthrough. The difference between these two games and the reason that Hellblade's lie works and We the Revolution's lie doesn't is because Hellblade actually keeps it a secret that it's a lie. The only way you can figure out that it is a lie is through excessive experimentation, which of course is something that you're not going to do on your first run through. But for We the Revolution, the game carries on for so long that you realize that this is a lie before you even reach the final act of the game. But I digress. Let's move on and talk a little bit about immersion. I roleplayed hardcore on my first run through. I read every document front to back multiple times to make sure that I understood every case and every facet of every case. And I thought everything through as though I was an actual judge in that time period. Every time I had a young man come before me who was being accused of a certain crime, I could instantly see my son's face in that character, and I needed to make sure that I was being fair because that boy was somebody else's son, and it wasn't just a name on a piece of paper that I needed to consider. And I can't stress enough how important it is to approach a game like this in this way, seriously and emotionally. I think this was part of the reason that I loved the first few hours so much is because they throw so many curveballs at you that if you are playing in a role-played manner and you are honestly connected with the characters on screen, these moments are going to hit you very hard. An example of course being when your youngest son dies. A political enemy of yours decides to send a message and he actually strings up your young son in the middle of the street. I actually had to take a bit of time after this happened to process everything because I had become so connected with the characters, it was upsetting. But by the end of the game, all of this had started to collapse around me. I was casting aspersions and sentencing people to death willy-nilly without much consideration at all. And the game actually pushes you into doing this with these quick cases where you simply get these small cards that have somebody's name on it and a brief description of the case. And based on that, you have to decide whether to acquit them or sentence them to death. There is no middle ground. And once you set one of these cards into one of these pillars, you cannot change it. The first few times I had to deal with these cases, I stressed over them for 10, 20 minutes. It was incredibly agonizing to deal with real people as I saw them on these cards and have to decide their fate based off of a little scrap of information. But by the end of the game, I found myself sentencing certain people to death and acquitting others, even if they weren't guilty and innocent respectively, 
just because I needed to gain certain points with certain factions in order to progress through the main story the way that the game wanted me to. And I actually have to say, this is one of the coolest things about We the Revolution, is that it turns you into that which you hated from the start. And that is somebody who is purely interested in furthering their own interests, damn your integrity and sense of morality. There's no room for it. But the problem I have with this whole shift that the game takes is why this happens. For most players, I don't think it's actually going to be because they have some sort of major character shift personally where they stop caring about morality and their own sense of integrity. Rather, I think it was probably because I was looking to rush through each case phase of my turn to get to what the game approaches as a more serious and important part of your day-to-day -day life as a judge, which ends up being the intrigue portion where you're making major political shifts and maneuvers in order to take over certain areas of Paris. In the first few hours, being a judge is the most important thing to Fidel, your character. By the end of the game, it's an afterthought. But all of these problems I've described could be described simply as symptoms of a larger illness. And that symptom is that the game sells itself and pitches itself to the player, especially in the opening hours, as being all about player agency. And it appears as though it's going to shift based off of the choices you make. But this simply isn't the case, as we see with each of the cases with regards to King Louis, your mentor in Act 2, Day 6, where I was forced to sentence him to death simply because any other option would have caused me to instantly lose, or with the dice minigame against your brother Bruno after he reappears. All of these are on rails, but the game wants you to believe as though it's not. And this dice game against your brother Bruno, where you're actually playing for your son's hands, basically Bruno threatens to cut off your older son's hands for every game of dice that he wins. And the game needs to have at least one of your oldest son's hands removed so that the dialogue they've written can still make sense. And as a result, you can't actually win both of these games. I tested this as did another YouTuber by the name of Mr. Rockageek, who did a test where he actually went through and redid this dice game 25 times and he wasn't able to win game two even once. And of course, most people are not going to be testing the game this much. They're going to play through it and just continue along the story on their first run through, never realizing that the game is completely rigged. The problem is, I only played this minigame once on my first run through, and even I realized that this was likely rigged because I couldn't get anywhere close to the scores that Bruno was throwing down. It didn't feel fair, and it made me feel as though this wasn't a poor turn of events based purely on chance as Bruno was describing it, but rather that the forces of the universe were forcing my son to lose his hands just because they wanted to send me a message that I'd become overly ambitious and self-interested. Again, it's okay that the game is on rails. It is trying to tell you a specific story, but the problem is that it does a very bad job of hiding this from you, which it should, because hiding this from players will help with a 
immersion, which again is something that's very crucial to get players to care about what's going on within the story. Honestly, this might be the simplest way of explaining everything that's going on with We The Revolution. The illusion breaks because the game is grounded early on, but then it slowly becomes less believable as it strays from the historical chain of events. By the end of the game, your dead brother has returned to kill all the innocents of Paris because he wants to teach you a lesson and reasons, and the player is also completely removed from the events of the revolution, and instead you're fighting against some major army that your brother has collected somehow because he wants to teach you a lesson for abandoning him and causing his life to be lame. Furthermore, it leaves the judge mechanic at the door and starts focusing on the terrible mini-games, which I'm going to discuss in just a moment. Simply put, you can't ask players to take the story and world more seriously than the developers. You just can't. And multiple of the plot points that come into the game in the last few hours, specifically around your brother, don't make any sense. And the only way I can explain them is that the developers stopped taking the game seriously once they got further in development and writing. But let's discuss these mini games for a moment because these are some of the most atrociously built mechanisms in a game that I've encountered in a long time. There's a few that I wanna focus on. Crowd convincing dialogues, persuasions, combat, map sections, family activities, and dice games. Literally none of these are good. With crowd convincing dialogues and persuasions, these are two sides of the same coin. You're faced with a certain situation and you have to try to determine the best course of action in terms of how you should phrase what you're saying based on a carelessness, a humility, aggressive, or a manipulative way of phrasing things. And to be honest, at first I thought this was pretty cool, especially because you can spend what are effectively ability points in order to discover more of their attitudes towards certain topics, which give you a clear hint of what you should be doing. But the game never really explains how this is supposed to work or which attitude towards certain topics will garner which response. It seems as though sometimes when a group is attached to a certain topic, an aggressive response can do well, whereas in other instances, a humble approach can be the right solution. It seems kind of like a crapshoot. Furthermore, the game actually allows you to strategize and plan out your statements beforehand. And once you plan these out, it actually tells you which of these approaches are going to work well, either with a perfect approach, a strong approach, a weak approach, or a very weak approach. The problem is that based on this feedback, you can actually get strong approaches and perfect approaches on effectively every single encounter. Plus, I don't think this achieves what the developers were hoping for, which is that it should feel as though you are actively trying to convince a crowd that has different emotions and opinions on what you're telling them. But instead, they allow you to plan your responses out beforehand, which, from what I can gather, doesn't seem as though it was always going to be the case. You see, once you're actually in the process of convincing people after you strategize, a meter slowly drops, and the further down it goes, the less impactful your statements will be. The question is, why does this actually exist? If you're strategizing before all of this happens, why are they trying to force you into making certain choices quicker than others? The only thing I can think of is that the game initially had you convincing crowds and individuals on the fly with this timer 
counting down. So you had to actively think through things with a time constraint, which actually could work quite nicely. My guess is, however, that once they started experimenting with this, they realized that the system was not as robust as they had hoped, and it did end up just being a guessing game for the first couple tries. So they added in this strategy step to allow players to try out a few questions first, get an idea of what they would need to do, and then go in and actively try to convince the individual or crowd. It just doesn't work. Another minigame that isn't really thought out well are these family activities where you have to balance your reputation with each of your family members in order to gain certain stat boosts with different factions that they represent for some reason. Initially this works where you'll go out with the family to a night on the town or to a concert or maybe you have everybody over for dinner and you throw a big party. Things like that could work, and I don't see a major problem with that. The problem is that after the first few hours of the game, these are the same events, and they only serve to help certain people within your family. And so, instead of being a nice moment with your family where you're trying to make everybody happy, it turns into this weird chore where you're deciding who you need to spend time with based purely off of the factions that are going on within the political realm at work. It's not actually having to do anything with your family. It's, again, just balancing certain meters. As for the dice minigames, this is purely chance until it's not, which, as I said earlier, is a serious problem, especially against Bruno and when they use dice in major story beats within the game, because they try to convince you it's just chance-based throughout the entirety of the game whenever you go to play dice with, for instance, the prosecutor or anyone else, but then when they get to a narrative sequence that they need to go a certain way, they rig it and you're left none the wiser. Beyond this, I'll also just say I don't understand why dice even needs to be in the game. I. I don't get this at all. The other mini game is this combat one where it's this weird sort of rock, paper, scissors. Basically you have soldiers on the board and then you have to decide which attack to make, whether it's a neutral, a suppressive fire, or it's a defensive stance. Each of these have their own response and will work best against certain crowds. But it's not actually that interesting. It is purely rock, paper, scissors but they don't ever explain the rules. And actually, while we were streaming this over on Twitch, I reached a point where we were experimenting with the combat system, and I got stuck on one battle for 40 minutes simply because the game didn't explain how the minigame actually worked. Thankfully, we were able to look up on the Steam community pages how to get through this, because apparently hundreds of other people also ran into this problem, where this specific instance of the battle minigame was so poorly balanced that there's effectively only two possible ways of defeating the enemy in this instance, and it's a specific combination of attacks that isn't intuitive in the least. And lastly, these map sections. These suck. With pretty much all of these minigames that they put in the game, it seems as though they were all just afterthoughts. None of them actually needed to be in the game, but they put them in to try to fluff up what was going to be a fairly short game, probably six to seven hours without all of this fluff. 
And honestly, I would have preferred that game over this game that has seven, eight hours of really high quality content, and then another six to seven hours of forcing these terrible mini games down your throat. This map mini game doesn't even really make sense. Basically, you're given characters and you need to take over certain sections of the map in order to gain some sort of political standing against your opponent. But this isn't an active counter and you don't actually get many boosts from this other than certain reputation perks and ability point increases. But other than that, it doesn't really make any sense. They never explain clearly if you can recruit more soldiers to help you. They never tell you why they're doing this or who you're fighting against. It's all just an afterthought. And bafflingly, all of these minigames become the focus of the game in the last few hours. Like, exclusively. I can't stress enough how much focus they put on these minigames in the last three or four hours of the game. Cases and the judge mechanic are almost entirely dropped because there's quote-unquote bigger things going on, which is fair, but it doesn't make it good in terms of gameplay. Honestly, after you execute Robespierre, the game just starts to tank. And it's very weird because going up against Robespierre feels as though the game is at a climax and that it should end right there. But instead, it continues to stumble along, tripping every other step until it eventually face plants completely. For me, this face plant was when Bruno reappears out of nowhere and decides he's going to invade Paris with an army he's collected somehow in order to get revenge on you and the rest of the people of Paris for abandoning him. It is such a poorly written explanation for an evil character doing evil things that I think it would be laughed out of a high school creative writing class. The utter collapse of the last act of We the Revolution was so baffling to me that I had to take some serious time and just try to think through how this could have happened. And the only explanation that I can come up with is that they didn't play test any of the last hours of the game. Maybe small parts of case writing early on and maybe later on, but certainly not these combat mini games. If anybody tried these outside the development studio, they would have told them to cut them immediately. They are atrocious. In my opinion, they should have ended the game after Robespierre, cut everything else that comes after. But instead, they start doing all sorts of weird stuff with women's suffrage for some reason, and then your brother comes back from the dead to call you out for being a bad person, which is fair, but why does this need to happen? The brother doesn't add anything other than verbalizing that which the player should already be aware of as long as they have two brain cells to rub together, and that is that they have become the new Robespierre and they've become that which they hated in the beginning of the game. But for some reason, the developers don't trust the player to come to this conclusion themselves, and so they need to bring this character Bruno back in in some plot twist because I guess every story needs a plot twist, and have him explain to you all of these things clearly because, again, they don't trust the player. It doesn't make sense because the ending cutscene would have done a perfectly good job of this. It takes you to the modern day after the credits roll where your character's grave is. A child is walking through the graveyard with its mother and this scene plays out. Who is buried here, mother? I don't know. Nobody important, I suppose. Who is buried here, Mother? 
The man who saved Paris. Remember his name, son. It's our hero. This shows that in the scheme of history, those who were selfish and power-hungry all ended up in the same place. Some were remembered, but most were forgotten. And in the end, were all the same. Listen, I get it. The game wants to show you your downfall, and that's fair. But it does it so poorly that it shouldn't have been done at all. Again, cool idea, but very very poor execution. And after all of this, I can safely say that I am thoroughly conflicted. I honestly don't know what to say about We the Revolution or whether or not I should recommend it outright, because the first 10 hours I really enjoyed, but the last five were some of the worst that I've played in a game in a long time. Honestly, I'm hoping that they're able to fix and patch a lot of these mini-games to improve them and make them more enjoyable, fixing many of the typos and glitches that players encountered at launch just a few months ago. They do seem to care and they are actively trying to improve it, but it might be too little too late. Most of these problems have to do with the direction of the game and the writing of the game, and I don't think those problems can just be patched out. They can certainly be helped, but I don't think there's a band-aid that's able to cover up this gaping wound. But at the end of the day, even if we can overcomplicate it by saying that the last act was terrible and so that spoils the whole game, I, I don't think that that actually matters. If we enjoy the time we spend with a particular title, or game, movie, novel, whatever it may be, isn't that all that really matters? After all, we're playing these games to have fun and to enjoy our, our time with them. So if we enjoy our time with the game, even if part of the game is pretty bad, why does that actually matter? Sure, we should call it out. Sure, we should criticize it and offer our insight and ideas as to how it can be improved, but I don't think that spoils the entire omelet. But that's just me. If you've played We the Revolution and have your thoughts on the game, please leave those down in the comment section below. I'd love to hear them. Again, thank you to Clavater and the developers over at Polyslash for the review code of the game. I did enjoy it, but there are some serious issues. What I can say is that I'm excited to see what Polyslash comes out swinging with next. Personally, I'm hoping for a version of We the Revolution, but set during the Salem Witch Trials. I think that that could be amazing as long as they keep these mini games out of it. But that's all for me. Thank you so much for watching. I love all of you more than you could possibly know. If you like this video and you'd like to see more like it, consider supporting me on Patreon because you'll get access to critiques such as this one a full week before everybody else. The next critique is on Batman Arkham Origins and that should be out very soon for patrons and out for everybody else a week later. But with all that said, Thank you for watching, honestly and truly. I love you all more than you could possibly know, and I'll see you in the next video.